In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps a $5 minimum balance required. This is the Ben Burnett Show, the only show in America that features a one-term has-been retired politician that nobody knows. Welcome into the Ben Burnett Show. My guest today is Georgia House of Representative Will Wade. Will, welcome in. Thank you for having me, and thanks for coming to a really special place. I, I record most of these episodes in Alpharetta. I record a quarter of them at the Battery, which where the Braves play, and where we record for 6-8 of the Fan and Extra 106.3. I've never sat in a studio like this. I feel like I'm on Theo Vaughn's, like, last weekend. You know, some of the comedians have, like, these super cool rooms that they sit in. And I was like, you never know. You so we're going to record at the high school, is what you said, right? I said, let's record at Lumpkin County High School. And I, so I'm like, okay, y'all, this is the craziest space I have ever— If you told me that the coolest— public high school music studio was in Lumpkin County, Georgia, in Dahlonega. I would have never believed you. And now if you want to sell me that, you have to convince me otherwise. Amen. It is ridiculous. There are guitars all over the wall. Zach Brown's pumped what seems to be lots of resources into this place. And good for him. He's got it. And you just suggested it. And I thought, well, maybe he's just being convenient to him. Man, Will was showing off, y'all. Listen, I represent the best state house district in the state. We've got the most vibrant communities. Lumpkin County High School is not my alma mater. I'm always going to bleed maroon and gold from Dawson County. You know, I, I've got some appreciation for my friends. And my former uh, adversary on the basketball court, Radford Wyndham, who runs the entire program here at the high school, uh, we go back to playing some old basketball in the late 90s. But I tell you what, Radford and the folks here at the school system – I'm glad you got to meet the principal, Billy Kirk, and got to meet the superintendent, Rob Brown. They have supported this effort, and, you know, Radford's got literally blood, sweat, and tears put into this endeavor, and it is benefiting kids and allowing them to grow and learn in a space that is really important to Georgia right now. Yeah, when you look at film and you look at music and just population growth in general, there's plenty of people out there that hate the film industry because sometimes it's like the cool thing to do. It ain't going away, y'all. And no. if you're not going to, when you talk about the workforce development conversations to get into a field like that, I'm a guy at 40 who'd be like, how in the hell do I get into that? They're teaching it in high school. And it is, I walked into this classroom today and I say classroom, it's a huge classroom if there was, if it was like 2000 when I was in school, but there's guitars all over the wall, drums, pro logics, a bunch of computers. It's a, it's it looks nothing like anything that I had at Parkview High School back in the day. <laughs> Listen, one of the things I love about this area of the state is we do not let the challenges of maybe lack of resources, you know, we have a hard scrabble background. We figure out how to get things done in North Georgia. You know, our roots from the Great Recession all the way through, you know, even from those families that lived and survived in the Great Depression, that's rooted in our DNA. And folks like Radford are just showcase, hey, what you can do when you put a little bit of elbow grease, tell the community what you're doing. 
And uh, I'm glad we've got this. There's high school students that can learn how to program, how to edit, how to, I mean, literally, they're able to take special effects uh, into the movie and film industry and do it on a laptop and be proficient by the time they're 18 years old. And that doesn't mean they're going to be the next movie star, but that means they're going to be supporting the economy and their family. And they can do it from Dahlonega, Georgia. And what better place to do what you love? There. And, and there are probably 500 people behind the scenes for every guy you see on camera. That's right. That that kind of stuff, until you start getting around it a little bit more, you don't realize how massive things are. Will, how did you grow up? You know, I was blessed to be born and raised in uh, Dawsonville, Georgia. I grew up on what I like to call the street of Dawsonville. You know, Dawsonville's a small town. Grew up on Allen Street, which is the main thoroughfare between the school systems there, the high school and elementary. When I was a kid... It was K-12 on one campus. My parents were teachers. I could literally walk to school, and I did walk to school much of my, you know, late elementary and early middle school until I finally was able to drive. A son of two teachers, both who were full-time, you know, in education, but my dad also was a craftsman. He helped folks, farmers, men fences, built all kinds of furniture, just was a, a jack-of-all-trades and a master of none. And my mom was always helping with things like the Census Bureau. She would volunteer even while being a teacher. Oh, she was knocking on doors, making sure you were counted. Making sure you were counted. And I, I can remember um, the 1990 census is probably the one I remember the most. I remember, you know, she she would laugh because she was fortunate being a teacher. They would let her on the property. But pr- people that had tried to do the same thing in 1980 didn't have the same success because, you know, the, if you don't know them, you're not letting them in. Not in a small town. No, sir. You know everybody for several generations. Where did you go to college? So I went to college uh, one year at University of Georgia. Had an academic scholarship. And I'll be honest, UGA as a freshman when I was 18, um, it was just too big for me. I actually thought I wanted to be a journalist, which is funny. I uh, loved sports. Huge Braves fan. Dale Murphy needs to be in the Hall of Fame. Hopefully we'll get to talk about the, uh, the resolution I introduced this session. You know, I really loved listening to the radio guys while, you know, Channel 17 was playing. And so my, that was something my dad and I did a lot. And a lot of times he would be working in his shop and I'd be helping, but we'd have the Bra- Bra- Braves game blasting. Played basketball, ran track, um, played a little baseball, but I, I fell in love with basketball in high school. And anyway, then I transferred, came up to the University of North Georgia. Uh, I'm a saint. I'm not a Nighthawk. I've got a, uh, lots of friends who are now Nighthawks, and and that's fine. But I graduated in 2001, and really, I'm that generation that September 11th shaped because I was a senior in college, getting ready to graduate in December with a double major in finance and accounting, and September 11th happened, and I had classmates, friends that were in the ROTC program, that were making that decision. Am I going to commission or am I going to go back into civilian life? And I can tell you the majority of them made the decision to go into serve our nation. And, and they spent the next four or five years somewhere else. Somewhere else. And then several of them did come back, finish up their college degree. But I had friends literally that were sl- slated to graduate with me in December that 60 days, decided they, they just said, you know what, I got to serve my country. And that unity, that pride, that patriotism, it was. It's just something that you feel when you're in North Georgia. It's a love of nation, a love of neighbor, a love of country. I think that's why I was drawn to service. You know, as a community banker, started out banking as a teller, got to know everybody. I'm cashing their checks. I'm making their deposits. I'm literally. I loved every day of being a teller. I got to meet people, people that knew me when I was a little kid. They're like, "Oh, you're Roy Wade's boy, or you're Miss Patty Wade's boy." Yeah, I'll, I'll bank here. I know you. I know your family. I've got a connection. 
And that just grew over time, and it's it's been an amazing place to grow up and live, work, and play and have the American dream. At what point do you get interested enough, and what made you run for a school board seat? and Or what was wrong with me? Yeah, what was wrong with me back then? Um, first of all, I was young. I was 25 when a, a gentleman who was a family friend reached out to me and said, listen, um, we're going to have a vacancy on the school board because we've got somebody that's going to run for tax commissioner. She had an accounting degree, worked for Lockheed and was retiring and decided she wanted to come back home and be tax commissioner. He convinced me that there were only going to be two meetings a month and there would be one or two hours max. And you get paid 50 bucks a meeting (laughs) and you'll get to meet more people and serve your community. And it's your alma mater, man. You're a tiger. Once a tiger, always a tiger. That's our thing. He said, you know, you also, you don't have any kids in the system. You know, your wife teaches in the neighboring community. You won't have any conflicts there. You don't have any family members working here. And you bring a younger perspective to the board, which we have strategically said, hey, we need. And so I fell for it. <laughs> I was naive and I believed him. And, but it was some of the best learning experiences of my life and spent just shy of 16 years serving the, the Dawson County School Board. I wouldn't trade anything for it. It was amazing. Doing education, well, it sounds funny to say because we're neither one young. What was the thing about that time that you loved the most that your average person looking at the issues around education in 2023 doesn't understand? So one of the things that drew me to it was actually the fact that when I was a young man in school, freshman year, we had approximately 200 kids classmates. And we were a big class back then for Dawson County. We were single-A school, but we were grow- starting to grow as a community. You could see it. You could see it coming. And But when I graduated in high school in 1996, there were 96 graduates. A lot of those were well-meaning folks. They were doing the family business. They were farming. They had a job lined up. And look, I realized back then, college is not for everybody. But that was also a period of time in which the policymakers were really pushing college only and had taken and made vocational studies a, a second fiddle or a back seat. Other than? The, the next thing. You know, if you can't do this, you can always do this. Listen. We're learning now in 2023, and I I knew it then because I had a dad that had both backgrounds. Like He had the vocation of being an educator, and uh, he was a thinker, but he also was a guy that did things with his hands. He built things, and he worked probably harder sun up to sundown every summer showing me that, hey, son, you get up at the break of dawn and you go mend this fence because you can't let – you know, Miss Styles' cat cow get out because so and so is going to call the sheriff, and we're going to have an accident. Somebody's going to get hurt, especially somebody that's not from here that doesn't realize they need to slow down on one eighty three. I know that's a silly story, but that's my that's that's the root of my my childhood. And so our school system was like, okay, how can we do better to make sure kids want to earn that high school diploma, and then let's streamline a pathway to get to their technical college opportunities because we had a fantastic vocational school system uh, where we were teaching kids how to be plumbers, electricians, welders, far- farming, v- veterinarians, right? Agritourism was starting to grow with Burt's Pumpkin Farm, you know, Amicola Falls being in this district. So we wanted to ensure that, hey, let's figure out how we can serve all kids and make sure that they have the ability and that we know that they can do better by finishing high school and that college is an option it's not the option and that was what brought me to it the other piece that I brought was you know I had become a banker at at 19 by 26 I was doing commercial lending and starting to understand you know economic development and what we could do as a community to try to maximize our identity serving growing 400 corridor needs but also protecting the areas north of Dawsonville and tapping into our heritage with moonshine and racing and 
just owning it and just embracing it and being proud of it and not looking back to say, you know, I, I look, I played basketball and we traveled a lot to do tournaments and we, we did camps. And I can remember being in certain place in this, this state in the early 90s and they're like, you're from Dawsonville, Georgia? Uh-oh, you're backwoods. They had assumptions about us because we were from the mountains. And most of that stuff was just old history that was not the case and wasn't what I experienced growing up. And being on the school board, I got to be a voice for my generation. I was honored to do so. 16 years in an elected office or appointed that then turned into elected office is enough for any one person to be <laughs> like, man, I'm, I'm good. I've seen enough. I never imagined, you probably didn't either, that the Board of Education, your school board, would become the focal point of politics in this country. I mean, I don't think you did it for a long time. You could have never seen that. No, I did not see it coming from the grand scale that we see now that it's become a national focal point. I remember we had contentious decisions that we had to make. One of the toughest decisions I made when I became a chairman for the first time is we had to go through the process of making the decision to tear down the old high school and build a junior high and change our dynamics of our school system we ended up doing a 10 through 12 high school and a junior high of eighth and ninth and then a middle school seventh and eighth grade and that was a big change but tearing down the gymnasium that I played every single high school basketball game in was not easy and it was that challenge of nostalgia we had people coming out so that was the from a long time ago from a long time ago that was contentious and we had heated discussion but we also allowed that discussion to happen the school board members did not cut it off we let people come and share their concerns and their thoughts. And that's how we solve problems in North Georgia and in rural America where everybody gets their voice and everybody gets to be heard. But there was also a equal balance level of respect. Those folks respected the people that they put in the office and the people that were in office respected every one of those citizens because we go to church with them. Yeah, you're not enemies. We're not enemies. We're neighbors. And we did it in a manner where we could have heated discussion, but we could come to resolution much more quickly. Now... Every decision a superintendent and school board makes is potentially going to be put on evening news or the next, you know, trending item on Twitter. I never imagined that as a school board member. And it's it does make me sad that it detracts us from focusing on the enormous amount of good that's going on in most of our school systems, public, private, parochial, home, whatever. These people at work, they care and they love these kids. Yeah, of course. And they're not lost and it gets lost. And we have so many kids that are thriving and coming from really difficult places. And those are the good news stories that get drowned out because we have to focus on some of the idiotic stuff that happens. That is bad. Don't get me wrong. It's terrible. But it, we're focusing way too much on that negativity. What made you want to run for the state house? And before you became representative, Will Wade, what was your platform? What did you think was important to represent people? Because let's be honest, my audience, a lot of times, and I'm grateful for this because I like people from everywhere because people are people. I love to have Brandon Beach come talk about what he wants to put in his gambling bill because I'm like, oh, dude, you're going to be in for a fight. Uh, <laughs> yes. I also know that there are plenty of people that don't agree with him that are like, they're good dudes. What was your platform coming from that background in education that you thought would be important to 
drive forward for the people up here in House District 9. That's right. I, I, I love being number nine. You know, I'm a NASCAR fan. So Bill Elliott, number nine. Chase Elliott, number nine. Not a bad thing. Hey, hang on. Why'd that dude go to Kings Ridge? I don't know. I really don't. That's I like don't. five minutes from my house in Alpharetta. You know, I, I think they had to cut him a deal so he could race and have the schedule he needed to have. The schedule. It had, had to be something like that. Yeah, no, the schedule piece is. And, you know, honestly, think about it. Bill Elliott and his family. Hey, they, Bill and Cindy. They have done so much for this area. Oh, yeah. With fame and fortune and recognition. And fame. There are people that honestly are mean and they do bad things, and I think they wanted to try to give Chase an opportunity. I can't speak for him. I will not talk. We've not talked about this, but I'm a parent now. I've got two kids. I'm not famous. I'm still very interested why you would want to interview me. But and you still and you still get hate mail, and I still get hate mail. But um, I think they also want to make sure that he had an opportunity to to pour into his racing schedule, and they needed to have a different option. So he's awesome. Listen, Chase and Bill. In my mind, will always be the best NASCAR drivers around. No Jimmy Johnson, no Kyle Busch. It's like, nope, it's the Elliots. No, it's the Elliots. I, I got some respect for the Earnhardts, too. And uh, Kyle Petty, I was a fan as a kid just because he was, in my mind, Bill Elliott and Chase, that's that's the number one and number two. But uh, back to your question about, you know, why would I want to do this? You know, I had a lot of respect for Kevin Tanner. Kevin is a friend. My dad actually was Kevin's teacher. And it's a great human being if there ever was. He's just good people. And he's a great representative of what's best about this area. I think I've told Kevin this story, but when I was going into high school, my dad brought out one of his annuals and he showed me a picture of a gentleman that was voted by his class most likely to succeed. And that was Kevin Tanner. And he said, son, this is the type of guy I want you to emulate. You know, a few years later, when I graduated high school, I happened to have that same recognition granted to me by my classmates, which is great. But then you start as an 18 year old, you're like, what does that even mean? What does that mean? And how can I don't want to let my friends and these people that love me and care for me down. So I've really got to make sure I buckle down and do something with myself and that I contribute. And then, you know, I, I followed Kevin. He was great to work with as a local elected official. He's at the state house. We're talking about education policy. I believe he was one of the best state reps we've ever had. And he had big shoes to fill. And when we found out he was running for Congress and I get phone calls from folks in the community, like, listen, it's going to be an open seat. And they, you're going to have to raise some money, and you're going to have to do things you've never had to do, Will. Um, all good things are part of the local politics, but you're going to have to get out there and try, and we really think you can do it. And that encouragement, you know, it's one of those things to me that I believe in divine providence. I, I happen to be a Christian. I believe God opens and shuts doors at times that we may or may not necessarily, you know, want to walk through. If this is something that I need to do, then these things will happen. And I kind of had this little and notepad. And if I lose, then I'll know. And, and if I lose, <laughs> I lose. I've got a great family. I've got a good job. I've got a, I still care about policy. I can engage win or lose. But I like to win. I'll tell you, my campaign was win with Wade. And it's because I, I win for my clients at the bank. I win for my community on trying to showcase what we do. That's one of the reasons I'm glad you came, because I want people to know what we're doing well here because it can be imitated and done in other places now the other thing that was crazy is i qualify and then the next week we're under a worldwide pandemic and the united states is being asked to slow the spread and shut down for two weeks hard to not hard to knock on doors it was not in the plan so i, I laughed i talked to my my pastor at the time and 
couple of really good friends. Russell Burt, um, Burt's Pumpkin Farm is a, is a really good friend, and he and I had a good conversation. And, and he is one person that has got the best perspective on things when they're most challenging and there's so much uncertainty. Um, think about it. I mean, you're a farmer. You have to navigate Mother Nature. You just deal with what comes. So he do, he's been doing that his entire life. And he said, Will, you're going to be okay. You're going to figure out a way to do this. And, and if you're not okay, then we're all not okay. And then, <laughs> so we're all in the same boat. Yeah. So we figured it out and phone calls and mailers and letters and just being transparent and being available. And so I, I told folks, my core is faith, family, and this community. So my campaign was faith, family, and this district in that order. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to serve and I'm going to be your voice. I'm going to listen to all sides. There's going to be people I'm going to agree with. There's going to be people I'm not going to agree with. But every person, especially if they're thoughtful and they're passionate, deserve to be heard when it relates to policy that they're paying for with their tax dollars. It's funny to see how things change. Even the same district. If I'm a guy who sits on the city council in Alpharetta and it's an at-large seat, there's 70,000 people. It's bigger than a state house seat. And your state house seat covers multiple counties. Three. And so I think it's always funny. Like, I can't, I couldn't walk the entire 29 square miles, like in a, I mean, you could probably walk it in a day, but it would be painful. Yeah. But you start thinking about how big Georgia is. It may be an equal number of people. It's a haul. I bet you, does it take you an hour from one side of the up to the other? It's a good hour when I go from point to point or from west to east or north to south. I've been running these roads and these hills my whole life, and it's just kind of what we do. Home. You it's home. You don't know anything else? I don't know anything else. You know, getting down at, no offense to Alpharetta, it's a great place. Um, busy. It's busy, a lot of traffic, and sometimes parking is a pain. Did so. you ever think that Dawson County and Lumpkin County would be Metro Atlanta? <laughs> well, I didn't think it when I was a young person, but when I became a banker and probably about 2010 when I saw what we thought was coming that was stalled by the Great Recession, I realized you knew it was possible. It's possible, and it's coming. It's just when. And you can't stop it. you got to embrace it. And I think policymakers could shape it. That's what I want to be a part of is trying to balance a little bit of all the good and try to hold back as much of the bad as you possibly can. When I moved to North Fulton, I always tell people, in an hour, on your best day, you can about get to Fayette County. Like, you got to leave at 2 o'clock in the morning, nobody's on the road, that, <laughs> ki that kind of thing. If you go on a bad day, that's a two-hour-plus commute. If you ever have the opportunity to come, the difference between going from North Fulton to Lumpkin County is it's either an hour or an hour and 12 minutes when you come up, especially now that a lot of the 400 stuff's out of the way and the roads are widened. Yep. And so I prefer to head north if I have the opportunity. I still prefer head north, and that's why, as the state representative for this area— You ain't moving. I, I ain't moving, but I also—I I know that drive south. I got to get up real early to beat the traffic. I love that northbound lane coming back home and get back in time for t-ball and well now eight and under baseball and gymnastics and softball and basketball for our kids and Friday nights and I, the other reason I want to bring this up the other reason I wanted you to come here there's something special going on and as a Dawson County alumni it kind of hurts but we've had some really great years when I was a school board member we had some phenomenal football teams that did broke records and they had their day and we had a young man named Savon Clark who's on the place for the Georgia Bulldogs. But Lumpkin County, Georgia, I got to give a shout out to this high school and this 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 group. 
this team is unbelievable. I've seen in the AJC poll, they're, what are they at? They're in the top 10. Top 10, G, uh, the, the, the Georgia Broadcasting, uh, they're number eight. They're breaking records. They're winning games. But they're one of the things I love about the Atlanta Braves is one through nine pitching style. Everybody contributes. It's crazy. Blumkin County football is very similar. Every kid contributes. Their O-line, they want to be the best guy on the line is fighting to be the best at what they're supposed to do. And that's what these kids need to experience. I saw when I was driving in all the pictures of the kids on there, I was like, I see you guys. Listen, I just say this to GHSA and all the folks out there in in football land for high school. I'm telling you, go Indians. I think they have an opportunity to be the underdog, but to be state champions. I mean, they really can do it. And, you know, they're going to learn every every game. They play their second half better than their first half because their coach is looking at, hey, they're up 40-something to nothing. They come back out and they keep pouring. That's awesome to watch. Great atmosphere. All right, who's the number one team in AAA? Oh, well, I think it's Lumpkin County well, and AJC is wrong. AJC I can't remember. I don't, <laughs> it's either Lumpkin County or whoever they're playing. Other than Dawson, I will root for Dawson. I think Dawson's going to have a hard time this year. So we talked about Dale Murphy. Oh, yeah. And he reached out to you. He did. I became a 10-year-old kid again. It was awesome. There's not a lot of those moments out there. No. And Dale, if you listen, I hope you get to hear this. Man. Just send it to him. Thank you. You are a phenomenal role model for young folks. But, um, yeah, this this year, this bipartisanship, Representative Stacey Evans, uh, who she and I both have – uh, North Georgia connections. Um, I think she grew up in North Georgia for part of her life, and uh, she now lives in Atlanta. A very successful attorney. Bless her for being an attorney, but she's a friend, and we don't agree on a lot of things, but we do agree on a few. And one of those is that the atrocity of the Hall of Fame of Major League Baseball is that Del Murphy is not in the Hall of Fame. I believe he's one of the best players of the '80s. You can't tell the story in the in the NL West without him. Without him, he was a phenomenal athlete and a phenomenal baseball player and an even more phenomenal human being. And he has been slighted. And I believe in the legislature, we do have a responsibility to right wrongs. So I introduced with co-sponsored from representative Stacey Evans and others to urge the major league hall of fame to put him in period. It's time. It's past time. Was there anybody that voted? No. It was unanimous. And that's probably like that consent calendar is probably pretty bare. <laughs> when you have the opportunity looking at, not that that's not serious. It is serious. And for the kids at home, I said the NL West, plenty of you do not remember. That's the, right. The Braves used to play half their games at like 1035. You had to, and you had to want it because they were bad. They had tough. They listen. I mean, we own the East now. They finally realized. I don't know what was going Playing on. Playing the Padres and the Giants and the Dodgers four hundred times a year. I know. I mean, I love. Listen, I love Will Clark because I got to see him play more than I even got to see the Braves. I think so. Uh, we're in the East, and whoever was teaching geography back in those days didn't understand that Atlanta and the, Georgia was in the, on the East Coast, not the West Coast. They've righted that wrong, and we own the East now, and they're a lot of fun to watch. Coming in the in the upcoming legislative session, what do you have your eye on that you're going to put your name on up front amen so i will say this as a governor's floor leader you know i'm a big supporter of brian kemp i was a kemp supporter early on actually day one supporter the other thing i want people to know about me is i am not a person that is against other people i just am for 
who I'm for and what I'm for. And I'm going to advocate passionately and fiercely for the things I believe in. And I'm not going to spend my time trying to put down other things. So as a floor leader working in the Kemp administration as a state representative, you know, I'm a state rep first. And I've got passionate policy things. Some of the areas that I want to carry, you know, I think we need a little bit more strength and punishments for those folks that are on both the supply and the demand side of sex trafficking, especially of children. I mean, I think we need to have mandatory minimums that put a stamp in somebody that would want to do that to a child and cut that off at every front. Marty Kemp, Brian Kemp have led a tremendous effort. I believe the best in the nation to put the groundwork in and set the stage as to how we need to fight this scourge. And I think there's more to be done. And I want to carry that legislation and the governor's policy team knows that. And I want to engage on that. So that's the, probably the number one thing because it connects to so many other ills that we're facing. You cut that off. You also have an opportunity to start reducing the fentanyl situation. Oh, it's all hand- where there is that there is lots of other things that you do not want that we don't want. You don't want, Nobody wants. I don't care what you are, Democrat, Republican, independent, you know, libertarian. Totally. Nobody wants that stuff. And that's something I think that I hope that we can make a priority. I believe that the Kemp administration and the House will lead on that. I believe the Senate will, too. And so I want to be a part of that. I also think school choice is coming back. I've given my input. You know, I think that I'm on all of the above. We need to make sure that we allow for parents to realize in the 21st century kids need the best option. And let's just be honest. There are some school systems that are amazing. Sure. Lumpkin County, Dawson County, White County. I live, I'm blessed to live in Northeast Georgia. We have the highest performing RESA district in the state. Most kids have a great opportunity to find a great path. There are places in this state that are the exact opposite. And these families need another option because these communities have not figured out how to make themselves better. Look, there's a lot of components. Um, There's folks that are advocates for public school only and only allowing taxpayer dollars to go there. I get that. But I also look at if it's not working, how many generations you want to see continue to go through this cycle? When we've looked back and we've seen three generations, it's not getting any better. I know in this state, if you work for a school system, they don't require you to work in the school system that your zip code is for your home. Why do we require children to be going to a school based on their zip code? I think we need to think about the kids first, build that as the center, and then adults need to adjust and find ways to address it. There's a, there's three or four different ideas. That debate's going to happen. I want to be supportive of finding ways to embolden parents that if that public school is not the best option for their kid, that they have another option. Or maybe it's a public to public. Like, look, we, we live in a very dynamic society now. I remember as a kid, most people lived and worked in the community they lived in, right? They worked where they lived. Now, people work way different. Their lifestyle is different. They may work in Pickens County but live in Lumpkin or vice versa. If I've got a firefighter or I've got a police officer, I've got a teacher that works over here, why can't they their kid go with them? If there's room let them have those options that fits that child's best need. And so I'm, I think that's the number two. And then number three, I think is going to be the question mark is, is there going to be redistricting to deal with that, that court case? That's the question mark. I don't know. I, you know, I don't think that you can compare the Alabama case. Is that, that's to Georgia. the Rich McCormick, Georgia six. Well, that's the assumption, yeah. right? That's the assumption. Um, oh, I like him. Yeah. Rich, no, Look, phenomenal guy. Talk about a guy that's been willing to put his tail on the line. I mean, several. I mean, and and 
how can you not like a guy that served in the military, served his country, been an ER doc, and, I mean, he's volunteered in Dawson County at our Good Shepherd Clinic. He's a real deal. He's just a guy about service. And I think that the legislature did a good job of making sure that we had a commensurate level of representation for all walks of life, for all backgrounds, for all races. And I think that also is mirrored on the federal level. But I'm also not a judge and I'm not an Obama appointee to make that determination. And Mercifully. Yeah, yeah, amen. But that's the question mark. Will we have redistrict or not? If we do, I think that's going to take a lot of time and energy that it probably shouldn't have to. But you know the reality of it. You know what happens in Atlanta. Some of the things that shouldn't take up all the energy end up taking up all the energy. I say it. They hate me with a holy passion. And it's not that I, I'm not sympathetic. I don't think that people inside the city limits of Atlanta at certain points can't help but get out of their own way. But I was one of the people, and look, when we had an election for a district attorney, I either had to support Paul Howard, who was horrible, or I had to support Funny Willis. And there were a bunch of us on the right who went out for her. And it will be a cold day in hell that that happens ever again. Yeah. And I, by the way, am not the guy, I will say it, I've said it on the radio, I get hate mail constantly. I don't like Donald Trump. I don't think he is right for the future of any part of politics in this country, period. That his former vice president was willing to put his name on the ballot because he didn't like what went on that much. You far more than I do live in the eye of this hurricane. Yeah. Why? What is what is wrong with America? Listen, I, there's that is such. I have an outline for a book that I'm going to write one day, okay, and it's going to be about you know just my experience and and really just kind of paying homage to my late father and just the blessings that I had and what I believe the America he grew up in and the America that I grew up in has allowed us to be probably so blessed we don't realize how good we have it. And that's why we've allowed some of these things to become, I look at it as moral rot. And I, I, I think it's on both sides, right? The a pox on both houses, if you will, for some of the things that we allow to to take the, the priority, the, the front row of social media and even mainstream you know, news reporting. I believe that character matters. I believe that our country has forgotten the importance of family. I happen to believe the nuclear family is the best governance structure that is what made America fantastic. I've got friends that are coming from all walks of life. You know, I really like what Tim Scott said last night in the debate as, you know, what has happened since the Great Society has actually created a process and an ecosystem that has incentivized the destruction of the African-American nuclear family. But that's happening in every demographic now there are incentives for people to not have a mother and a father why don't you get a job first then start having kids right <laughs> i mean there's so many things that get solved it, it by just, graduating from high school and not being and not having a child before you're the age of 25 yes that's the that's if you want to be in the middle class and it's two things and neither of them are hard don't have a child before you're 25 yep graduate from high school you're virtually guaranteed access into the middle class it's not about race it's not about sex it's none of it and no Amen. that doesn't mean that you'll be bill gates but that means that 
you in all likelihood will be able to put one foot in front of the other and earn a living, even if it's something that you're not wildly passionate about, you're still at least not in poverty. That's right. And happiness, in my opinion, you know, we look at, I, I'm, I love the Constitution, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I love being a banker. It's great. It's hard some days. I enjoy being a legislator. But out of all those things, I get my happiness from my wife, from experiencing life with her, and experiencing life with my kids, the good and the bad, the tough conversations, the joyous celebrations. That, I think, we've, we've not focused on. It's just the same thing. What do we see the news people doing? We don't see a news story about this, this place, what's going on that you and I, this kind of conversation, what we're talking about here in Lumpkin County High School, they want to talk about, let's talk about these indictments. Let's talk about all this stuff that Finding Willis is doing. Let's talk about January 6th. Let's talk about all the things that are negative, right? We focus on January 6th, but we don't want to focus on all the riots of 2020. We have to have it where it's, let's just be truthful about all of it. If it's negative, be negative. But let's also talk more about the positive things that are going on in this country, uh, like University of North Georgia. We just had a Boar's Head Brigade celebration of our students. And guess what? 85% of the students at North Georgia that are in ROTC end up commissioning. The highest about all of those five. These are some amazing young people that are going to fight the fight that's coming through cybersecurity, cyberterrorism. These are people who are putting their life on the line, and they do it because they love their country, they love their neighbor. If we get back to the simple things of loving our country and loving our neighbor and just Let's follow that path, like get a college diploma or a high school diploma or a tech degree, then get married, then have kids. That's the American success story. We don't have to spend, you know, because I'm limited government, right? <laughs> government, federal government can't fix much. It can't. All right, I have two questions for you on the way out. You are the only person I ever see on social media that is supportive of Vice President Mike Pence <laughs> as the Republican nominee for president. And candidly, I mean, at this point, I am too, but I've made it known that you have to come do the show. He's the only one who's checked the box. Right. I was I like, hey, you, I can look at people and be like, well, Mike Pence was good for me. <laughs> and like, Mike Pence actually was good for me. Just to, you know, you're on the right track when people that you respect reach out to you. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, sure, tell me when. Like, at first, I was like, I got to call you back because I don't actually believe you. That's funny. But why, why him? You know, I'm not against any of the other candidates. I think that where we are, we're in a crucial crossroads as a country. Mike Pence, in my view, has the best experience that checks all the boxes of the policy positions that I care the most about. He is a person that is a champion for family values. He's a person that is a champion for freedom of religion. He understands that this country was founded on that guiding principle. He's a day one ready guy. He was the vice president for four years during one of the most tumultuous times this country has ever faced. And I think people forget that the reason that the Trump-Pence administration was so successful is Mike Pence had some major influence on the recommendations for those three Supreme Court justices. I think he was a person that was making the right recommendations to guide policy to push back on China, to push back on, even guide us to where we didn't have the terrible withdrawal from Afghanistan, right? All the things Biden has done wrong is because Biden, let's just face it, even Obama said it, he never has had a correct you know, foreign policy decision in his life. But Biden doesn't have a moral compass, in my opinion. 
I have concerns. Everything with Donald Trump, who has been a success, is transactional. It's not the best thing for our country today. I think he's kind of done a turncoat on the pro-life situation. The people that care about babies in utero and folks that are, you know, great-grandmother's ages are people that believe that to their core. They don't do it for grifting. It is who they are. They believe in the sanctity and the value of every human being life. They're not doing it because they want to get credit. They want to champion every single life. That's one of the most important things to me because it's just, it's a core of my faith. It's a core of me as a father, right? That's what Mike Prince brings to the table. He also understands the players on the international level, in my view. He understands what Putin's all about. He understands what's going on in Saudi Arabia and the energy crisis. He understands the threat that China faces. He also has an understanding of what the fourth estate in this country, the administrative state, is doing to hamper innovation and hamper states to continue to be bastions of innovation. I think he can be a, a component to be day one ready and finish the job that didn't get done when I think Donald Trump got distracted on certain things. Oh, you think? And look, <laughs> you know, I struggle with this as a person that believes, you know, it's easy to say anything's better than Joe Biden, right? Most likely. But again, I just think we need to chart a new path forward. For me, Mike Pence is a person that does that, and he's got the experience being an executive as a governor, having a background, you know, for a short period of time. I think he had a private business. I think he did what, what you're doing. He had a radio show, right? He's articulate, and I think he just speaks to every generation at the time we need to hear what's being said. Have you met him? I have had the opportunity to meet him. He's he, just a real He's a real deal. For those no, – nobody believes me when I say this. When he doesn't have the microphone on and he's not on TV, he's hilarious. He's great sense of humor. And I didn't, I almost did not expect it. But I went with the guy who runs, Colin Wheat, who runs sales and marketing for 680 The Fan because his father was the guy. This is my Mike Pence story. His father was the guy in Indianapolis who hired Mike Pence and put him on the radio and gave him a shot. And so when Colin wow. walks in and he said, Mr. Vice President, my name is Colin Wheat, Mike Pence looks at him and goes, Wheat, you look just like him. And he said, I want to thank you. When my dad passed, you were in the vice president's office and you wrote my mother a letter that sits in a frame. And he said, this is not I'm not making this up. This is one of the reasons like people can hate on him for the wishy washy. He gets hated on by everybody. And he said, I want you to know that if your dad hadn't put me on the radio. I would have never had the opportunity to grow into something that was on 18 stations in a state. I'd have never gotten elected into Congress. I'd have never been elected governor of the state of Indiana with the name ID. And I never, if I hadn't done that, I would have never been the vice president of the United States. And there's about 10 people that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt had a hand in my success, and your father was one of them. And I was like, that is the coolest damn thing I have ever heard. It's awesome. And, you know, think about just the core of who he is. And, look, I think all of the candidates – they're all likable. They're all, they've all got great stories. They've all got great things to bring to the table. It's hard to get there. It, yes. So I have much respect for them. Um, I think some of them are really chasing the populist lane. And then there are people that are core to the conservative principle values. And I think for, I'm 45. I actually don't, I'm not making my retirement plans based on thinking I'm going to have social security. 
I'm assuming that there are going to be drastic changes for my generation and younger. There have to be. Well, I mean, 2033, I'm pretty sure it's going to have a 25 or 26% cut. That's already in law. Mike Pence is bold enough to go ahead and start talking about it. Because guess what? As long as it takes to get things done in Washington, we have to be real with America and talk about it right now. And he's willing to rip that Band-Aid. He may or may not be successful, but I think that's what leadership is, is being a straight talker, tell people what they need to hear. And eventually when they start understanding and they hear the facts and they see that fiscal cliff that, oh, wait, we're in the middle of right now. This is exactly the time we need it. And he brings to it with civility, decorum, mutual respect. He knows how to navigate Washington, D.C. when you have a situation where you've got one party in control in one house and another party in the other. Those are all skills that I think he just is ready day one. I wish him well, and I hope that he can be an upset and a surprise. I don't worry about the fact that there's somebody out there that's going to be like, oh, Will Wade, you're for this person. That means you're like, <laughs> guys, I supported Brian Kemp, and I think Brian Kemp pretty much focused on Georgia. Whoever I support for president isn't going to change how I serve this district. Right. Right? And if I endorse somebody for president, guess what? It's not going to move the needle that much. Not here. No. And, and not anywhere. I mean, I'm a state rep. but. Yeah. I'm not going to tell, I mean, I'm not going to lie to people and say, oh, look, I've been around long enough. I've been in Atlanta long enough, three years, and I figured it out. There's a lot of people that will tell you everything that you want to hear, and then they'll tell the next person the same thing, everything that person wants to hear. No, that's not me. Last question. As a banker, community banking, the 10-year treasury just went above four and a half. For those of you who think that fighting about Ukraine and Taiwan and entitlements and whatever, we can't afford any of it. I don't care who the president is. That's right. We're both going to, we're just going to tell you that now. How much worse does it get? And what does the average person not understand? What I think people aren't paying attention to is the fact that monetary policy and inflation have a huge impact on every single American and all of our kids and our future grandkids. $33 trillion, folks. It's not sustainable. We have to. Already. I mean, we're already there and we're on a path. I mean, I've heard numbers like 50 and 75 trillion. This is just unbelievable. So we have to realize that you have to grow yourself out of it. You have to have a vibrant economy. We got to be less reliant on China for things. We got to be less reliant on certain supply things for you. We got to make in America, we got to build back our industry, industrial complex. We've got to build things. We got to make things. And we can do that if we allow states to lead that innovation, compete for it and get the federal government out of the way. But the treasury, I mean, you know, I, I was on a phone call this morning. We were talking about what, what do we see ahead with credit risk? What do we see ahead with? It's not good. It's not good. <laughs> and I think that the average citizen needs to know, look, you need to be prepared for some companies and some industries are probably going to start laying folks off in the beginning of the year. Because, I mean, you got to make your debt service payments. It's more expensive. You got to make your payment. And I mean, right now, the Treasury yield is causing our taxes are going to have to pay higher interest burden. I mean, the, the interest on the debt ain't going down. It's only on a trajectory to go up. Now, you look at the yield curve. And it says, oh, we all think rates are going to come back down and come back down pretty drastically in four to five, six years. But I'll just say this. Since 2020, the Federal Reserve hadn't really been very accurate. I remember a year ago being told interest rates aren't going to rise until 2024. What have they done in 2023 and late 2022? It's been the highest rate of multiple increases 
ever. Things are broken. When 2020 happened and COVID happened and your 10-year treasury, this is super nerdy. That's okay. Was, was it point three? It was free. And municipal bond debt was even lower. And we looked. I couldn't get four votes. I was like, why would you? They were like, we don't know what's going to happen. I was like, well, if it doesn't continue on, that means we've all died. So I don't care. Which wasn't a very compelling argument to six other people on my on my council. But when I look back, I was like, guys, we ought to take $100 million with AAA credit rating. If we've got infrastructure, it is going, they're going to start printing money. You will never see this again. And if you've got projects you need to do, it's, it is. Now's the best time. It, and I, or it was in 2020. I won a year later at like 2%, but I was like, we should have done $100 million worth. We, we should have, because you have, you know, school boards are somewhat different, but you've got aging infrastructure all over them. And I think everybody was so nervous to spend the money then. And then you know, the federal government made a disastrous decision to flood everybody with cash. It's not the biggest part of the problem, but it was. it is one of them. In my opinion, that's what put us over the cliff. You know, as a guy that likes to study financial history and somewhat, uh, I guess I consider myself a, a, a C-plus economic student. but go. That's good enough for government work. Apparently. Um, <laughs> I remember looking at, even in my economics classes in college, like the comparison of GDP to world, you know, in World War II, like the debt to GDP, that's when it basically was even. You understand why it was World War Two. It was a it was a massive years long global conflict. So, like, can we have as like our elected representatives in Washington, a president, you know, say, guys, let's get ourselves back to just one to one in this environment because we are coming out of an uncertainty. They're not even having that conversation. No, it's horrible. They want to argue either side. No, it's it's. I'm telling you, I'm just about done with all of them, and I pray for them. Because I'm like, one one day they're going to wake up and they're going to realize they're in a position to have made a difference. And that's... And they I, promise tax cuts. And they promise tax cuts. And they, <laughs> right here's the best reason to do it. And they're not. But I think Americans, the average person needs to know, you know what? What you can focus on, though, is making sure that you stay aware of what's going on around you your community. People were saying, hey, even in this call I had with these guys that know a lot more about credit risk than I do, they're like, Georgia's going to be much more insulated to any major negative impact. You know, so it's it's kind of like the old idea, you know, America has a cough, you know, Europe's probably got the flu. Well, Georgia's going to be the one, we might have a cough, but there's other parts of our country that may have the flu. And I'm thankful that Georgia has had some really conservative leadership, especially with Brian Kemp through this period of time. There's a reason we have that that huge reserve because we know there's some uncertainty coming. Um, Washington can't be controlled. I mean, you and I are talking on a, what is today, Thursday? Are we going to have a government shutdown? Are they going to kick the can for 45 days? None of us know. Georgia's in a position to be prepared for either outcome, at least for the foreseeable future. Will Wade, thank you for your time today. WW and BB, I like it. It's been another episode of the Ben Burnett Show. We will see you guys next week. Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash john. 
First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.